Since at least World War II, United States military pilots have witnessed strange objects in the sky and sometimes below the surface of the ocean that not only defy explanation, but the laws of physics as we know them entirely. Do you feel the need for speed? Then come play with the boys aboard the mighty wings of the U.S. Navy as we go up with the best of the best into the danger zone on this very special Independence Day edition of Super Mystery Bros. Hop 15 of Super Mystery Bros. The clock is ticking, and as of now, we are keeping score. My name is Nate, and with me as my wingman for this episode is Kyle. And like Kennedy once said, ask not what your favorite podcast can do for you, ask what you can do for your favorite podcast. Kyle, what is it that people can do to support their favorite podcast and, by extension, their country? Well, Nate, as always... Our fellow listeners can leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever app they like to use to listen to our podcast. We are on a mission, after all. A mission to become the world's greatest podcast, because there are no points for second place. And how can they get in touch with us if they want to complain about this episode? Well, if they wish to complain, listeners can shoot us an email at supermysterybrospodcast at gmail.com, and their complaints will promptly be marked as spam and sent into the trash folder. Wow, thanks for that, man. So before we begin, I didn't want to do this, but I have to. I feel the need for speed. It's inherent, and there's nothing I can do about it. So what did you think about Top Gun Maverick, man? It was as perfect as it could have been, man. You know, a lot of people say it's not as good as the original. That's um, definitely arguable. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be, they, they wouldn't have made it, uh, made another one if the original wasn't so great, but it was also the perfect homage to the original like yeah they, yeah they bring back so many parts of the original and they do the original such justice and they bring modern you know cgi graphics fast-paced action throughout the whole movie i thought it was a great fucking movie man you know what it made me want to do is drive a motorcycle down the 15 freeway without a helmet on and then shake my fist up at the f-18s taking off from miramar <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought they did an amazing job of reviving the character, but I didn't really like the story itself, like the the end part. I didn't really like the the whole end mission where it was like a make like a shot for shot remake of the original Star Wars Death Star run. I, I thought that was kind of cheesy. <laughs> and then I don't know, man. I thought that that might have been a little cooler than the 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 trench run. It in its own respect, you know. Yeah, and the whole F-14, stealing the F-14 from the enemy base was kind of cheesy, too. That but was cheesy. <laughs> I will say, like, there were there were a couple parts that I thought, I thought that somebody was cutting onions in the room, you know? Like, when the, um, who was the, the, the black guy, the admiral in it, who, um, he met, he met Maverick, uh, below deck, and he said something like, uh, 
you're where you belong. Make us proud. And I was like, damn, someone's cutting onions in here, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that was Hondo. <clears throat> no, it was the Admiral. It was the, the Admiral. Hondo was the other black guy, but I'm talking about the the guy who is like Maverick's age. Oh, I don't know. I you don't, don't remember, remember that black, part. I don't remember but, the, but, the Black Admiral. No, I just remember Hondo. <laughs> but I wanted to say that I think they did a great job with, with uh, Tom Cruise's character. And I think that they did his character way more justice than like Luke Skywalker in the new Star Wars movies. Oh, abso-fucking-lutely, man. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, real quick before we begin, our producer would like to just say a few words about the place where this mystery all takes place. So without further ado, take it away, Davis. On July 4th, 1776, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and unanimously agreed to ratify the Declaration of Independence, a formal agreement for the existing 13 North American colonies to separate themselves from the British Empire and unite as a new nation. Its purpose was to teach the lost art of democracy and to ensure that the handful of people who were born there were the best in the world. They succeeded. Today, the country calls itself the United States of America. The citizens call it America. America. Merely being reminded that this place exists is enough to cause over half the world's population to fly off into a screeching fit of uncontrolled rage, all fists and elbows. Today, it's commonly known as the world's scapegoat. As the old saying goes, success breeds jealousy, and there are no points for second place. After divorcing itself from the British Empire, it set out to become a nation built on the principles of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom from tyrants and dictators, but unintentionally rose to the status of the world's premier superpower, not through the conquest and exploitation of others, but by complete accident, a byproduct of being kind, humble, accepting, hardworking people of strong moral character who embraced self-determination and the virtue of forgiveness wiping the slate clean with former adversaries in order to construct peaceful, friendly relationships of mutual benefit, empowering its former enemies into becoming allies, rather than clinging to petty grudges. As Americans, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Although they are strict pacifists, the American people have never shied away from opening up a giant can of whoop-ass on those who run rushout over the helpless and powerless, in a world of tyrants who deem themselves to be above the rights of their fellow man. During the 20th century, America emerged from its neutrality and played a pivotal role in international affairs after being dragged into World War I and then later. The Americans were once again dragged into a war they didn't start but a war that they did put an end to. Ultimately, the Americans were twice decorated with the title of World War Champions. Americans were the first and only people to have ever walked on the moon, a distinction that it has held for more than five decades. America now stands as the oldest democracy in the world, withstanding the test of time and weathering countless economic, political, and bloody shitstorms. And rumors of its death have been greatly exaggerated. Its military still the most powerful in the world and its economy the largest in the world. As we finish looking toward the past, we must now shift our focus toward the future. Some would like you to believe that America is a nation past its prime, clinging on by a thread as it faces collapse. 
However, I, for one, believe that together, we will overcome our challenges, as we always have, and that our best days are still ahead of us. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and we will once again be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist, and should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on, we're going to survive. No matter who you are, or where you're from, we can all agree on one thing. It doesn't matter if you're British, Russian, North Korean, or even Canadian. Today, on the 4th of July, we are all Americans. And every alien is a son of a bitch. And it's called soccer. Wow. Thanks, Davis. You know, I don't necessarily agree with everything that you said, but as an American, I would fight to the death for your right to say it. All right. Pop quiz hotshot. What fighter aircraft has the all-time highest air-to-air kill-death ratio in the entire world? Oh, shit. Fighter aircraft. Let me know if you need a hint. I do need a hint. Is this a propeller-driven aircraft or a jet aircraft? It's a jet aircraft. F-14 Tomcat. No, I, I take it back. F-4 Phantom. No. Shit. You give up? I'll give you one more. Yeah. One more guess. One more guess. This one's just, I'm just going to throw a wild one out there and say the, oh, what is that one? The F8 Crusader. No. It's actually the F15 Eagle. Oh, shit. Yeah. Any guess? Any guesses as to its record? Um, a hundred air-to-air kills to how many how many deaths oh the ratio the highest ratio the ratio um dude i'd give it what like fucking it's probably unbroken but uh, i'll say 20 to 1 to make it a ratio but i wouldn't be surprised if none have ever been shot down yeah it's got a divide by zero error so it's got 104 kills to zero losses in air-to-air combat very nice so yeah I was too busy thinking about um, thinking about Navy planes, the F-4, the Tomcat, no. the Crusader. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Air Force also flew F-4s at, at, at one point. So, All right, man. Well, why don't you kick this off by telling us a little bit about the history of the Top Gun School? The United States Navy Fighter Weapons School, a.k.a. Top Gun, was established in 1969 during the Vietnam War in response to the surprisingly dismal performance of its fighter aircraft in the skies over Vietnam. Military bureaucrats at the time believed that dogfighting, or traditional air-to-air combat, was a thing of the past. Now that brand new technology, mainly air-to-air missiles, had come into service and were highly successful during optimal testing conditions. However, these new weapons proved highly unreliable in actual combat, especially in the humid air of Vietnam and the heat of fast-paced aerial warfare. 
Early models of the AIM-9 Sidewinder air-to-air missile had a 56% failure to launch rate, and even if successfully launched, missed 28% of their targets. The AIM-7 Sparrow had an even worse track record, but the higher-ups in the command believed the era of dogfighting to be a thing of the past, and therefore opted to remove the cannon from the F-4 Phantom to lighten its load, believing air-to-air gunfighting to be obsolete. However, this left many pilots as sitting ducks during actual combat, having no guns to fall back on once all their air-to-air missiles were expended, and likely most of them having been duds in the first place. In the early years of the Vietnam War, U.S. air-to-air victories barely exceeded a 2-to-1 kill-to-death ratio. Despite having superior training, aircraft, and technology, the pilots of North Vietnam were proving to be a formidable adversary who chose not to play by conventional rules, adopting opportunistic hit-and-run tactics against bomber formations and engaging in air-to-air combat only when confident that they had the upper hand. U.S. F-86 Sabre pilots had boasted a 10-to-1 kill-death ratio during the Korean War, but the U.S. was now losing their edge against this new enemy. The United States Air Force took the position that improving missile technology was the answer to the problem, but the Navy took the opposite approach, reject modernity, and return to tradition. The solution, as the Navy saw it, was to establish an elite school where some of the best pilots in the Navy were to instruct students on the lost art of aerial combat. No lecture was to be given to its students without first being passed by a board of other instructors under intense questioning and scrutiny to ensure that the tactics and information being taught were completely sound. The pilots and RIOs, which stands for Radar Intercept Officers, studied not only their own doctrines, equipment, and technology, but also their enemies. The school was finally established at the then Naval Air Station Miramar in San Diego, where Navy fighter pilots would attend a rigorous course on aerial combat prior to their deployment in the, to the Vietnam War. Initially geared toward the F-4 Phantom, its instructors would fly a plethora of lighter, smaller, and more maneuverable aircraft such as the A-4 Skyhawk and F-5 Tiger II to simulate the MiG-17s and MiG-21s, respectively, which were flown by the North Vietnamese Air Force at the time. Once graduated, the pilots were considered to be the elite, best of the best, and were then expected to go on to teach their fellow pilots their newly gained skills and knowledge. Fun fact for those who uh, like watching the original Top Gun movie, in the movie, the instructors at Top Gun flew A-4 Skyhawks against Maverick and the other students, but the actual enemy MiGs in the movie were really U.S. F-5 Tiger IIs painted black to look like enemy MiGs. Yep. Although it took a while after Top Gun was first founded, the results were astounding. By 1972, the Navy's air-to-air victory ratio over the skies of Vietnam had climbed to 8.7 to 1, and by 1973, formal U.S. operations in Vietnam had finally ceased. Contrary to popular belief, the Top Gun School is no longer located in San Diego. Once the Miramar Naval Air Station was transferred over to the Marine Corps in 1996, the school was then moved to Fallon, Nevada, where it remains to this day. However, Just off the coast of this incredible city is where the first of a slew of shocking incidents occurred on November 14th, 2004, witnessed by an elite F-18 pilot and Top Gun graduate, Commander David Fravor. 
So the following is a now famous article which first broke the story from the New York Times in December of 2017. It begins as follows. Commander David Fravor and Lieutenant Commander Jim Slate were on a routine training mission 100 miles out into the Pacific when the radio in each of their FA-18F Super Hornets crackled. An operations officer aboard the USS Princeton, a Navy cruiser, wanted to know if they were carrying weapons. Quote, two Catam 9s, end quote, Commander Fravor replied, referring to dummy missiles that could not be fired. He had not been expecting any hostile exchanges off the coast of San Diego that November afternoon in 2004. Commander Fravor, in a recent interview with the New York Times, recalled what happened next. Some of it is captured in a video made public by officials with a Pentagon program that investigated UFOs. Quote, well, we've got a real-world vector for you, end quote, the radio operator said. According to Commander Fravor, for two weeks, the operator said, the Princeton had been tracking mysterious aircraft. The objects appeared suddenly at 80,000 feet and then hurtled toward the sea, eventually stopping at 20,000 feet and hovering. Then they either dropped out of radar range or shot straight back up. The radio operator instructed Commander Fravor and Commander Slate, who has given a similar account, to investigate. The two fighter planes headed toward the objects. The Princeton alerted them as they closed in, but when they arrived at the at merge plot with the object, naval aviation parlance for being so close that the Princeton could not tell which were the objects and which were the fighter jets, neither Commander Fravor nor Commander Slate could see anything at first. There was nothing on their radars either. Then, Commander Fravor looked down to the sea. It was calm that day, but the waves were breaking over something that was just below the surface. Whatever it was, it was big enough to cause the sea to churn. Hovering 50 feet above the churn was an aircraft of some kind, whitish, that was around 40 feet long and oval in shape. The craft was jumping around erratically, staying over the wave disturbance, but not moving in any specific direction, Commander Fravor said. The disturbance looked like frothy waves and foam, as if the water were boiling. Commander Fravor began a circular descent to get a closer look, but as he got nearer, the object began ascending toward him. It was almost as if it were coming to meet him halfway, he said. Commander Fravor abandoned his slow circular descent and headed straight for the object. But then, the object peeled away. Quote, it accelerated like nothing I've ever seen, he said in the interview. He was, he said, quote, pretty weirded out. End quote. The two fighter jets then conferred with the operations officer on the Princeton and were told to head to a rendezvous point 60 miles away called the Cap Point in aviation parlance. They were en route and closing in when the Princeton radioed again. Radar had again picked up the strange aircraft. Quote, Sir, you won't believe it, the radio operator said, but that thing is at your Cap Point. End quote. Quote, we were at least 40 miles away, and in less than a minute, this thing was already at our cat point, end quote, Commander Fravor, who has since retired from the Navy, said in the interview. By the time the two fighter jets arrived at the rendezvous point, the object had disappeared. The fighter jets returned to the Nimitz, where everyone on the ship had learned of Commander Fravor's encounter and was making fun of him. Commander Fravor's superiors did not investigate further, and he went on with his career 
deploying to the Persian Gulf to provide air support to ground troops during the Iraq War. But he does remember what he said that evening to a fellow pilot who asked him what he thought he had seen. Quote, I have no idea what I saw, Commander Fravor replied to the pilot. It had no plumes, wings, or rotors, and outran our F-18s, end quote. But he added, quote, I want to fly one, end quote. End of article. To go into more detail about the incident, Commander Fravor was piloting an F-A-18F Super Hornet, which is a two-seat variant of the fighter with his WSO, or WISO, weapon system operator, in the back seat, accompanied by another F-A-18F, also the two-seat variant with a WISO in the back, as they launched from their aircraft carrier en route to a combat exercise out over the, the Pacific Ocean. Upon being instructed to pursue an unknown radar contact by the USS Princeton and merging into visual range of the object, none of the four aircrew could see anything out of the ordinary, until Commander Fravor, while flying at 20,000 feet, looked down and to the right, toward the surface of the ocean, and what he saw took his breath away. On a clear, cloudless afternoon with peaceful seas and no whitecaps, he noticed something peculiar on the surface of the ocean. He noticed an area of white water indicative as <laughs> twice. I want some butts. I'm going to start this paragraph over on a clear cloudless afternoon with peaceful seas and no white caps. He noticed something peculiar on the surface of the ocean. He noticed an area of white water indicative of an object just below the surface. According to Fravor, it was about 40 feet long, whitish in color and shaped almost like something between a cross and a tic-tac, which rose just above the water. According to Fravor, it was moving erratically, like a ping pong ball bouncing inside of a glass that was being shaken, moving back and forth, left and right, around the white water disturbance that the air crew had spotted, as if inside of some sort of field distortion. At first glance, Fravor immediately thought it might be a helicopter, but this made no sense, as they were too far from the ship and any land for that to make sense. There was also no rotor wash on the surface of the ocean, nor did he see any rotors at all. Fravor decided to go in for a closer look, while the other aircraft remained circling up high to get separate viewpoints on the object. However, shortly after Fravor began his descent, only having descended a couple thousand feet below his wingman, the object rapidly ascended above the surface of the water and began to mirror his aircraft's movement. As he continued his descent, the object began to ascend. Since the object was mirroring his aircraft's movement effortlessly as they flew around in a circle, Commander Fravor decided to cut across the circle to intercept its flight path. As it crossed the nose of his aircraft about a half mile away, it began to suddenly accelerate, and then in less than a second, it just vanished into the distance. Neither Fravor his Wizzo, nor the air crew in the other F-A-18, knew where the object went. Upon investigating the spot where the object was originally spotted, the white water was gone, and the object was no longer anywhere to be seen. Shortly after the object vanished, the USS Princeton radioed back into the flight crew, telling them that they're not going to believe it, but that the object was now spotted on radar back at their cap point, the original point where the air crew were going to hold about 40 miles off the ship. In less than 45 seconds, the object traveled 60 miles. The radar didn't track it as it flew over to that point. It simply just appeared there within one sweep of the radar. 
No conventional aircraft, at least not that the public is aware of, can travel at that speed. Conservatively, this means that it would have had to been traveling at an average speed of at least 5,000 miles per hour, which is about Mach 6.5. And to put this in perspective, the current record holder for the world's fastest jet on Earth is the SR-71 Blackbird, which only has a top speed of Mach 3.3 or about 2,200 miles per hour. So over twice as fast as yeah. our current fastest jet. Yeah, there's just no fucking way. Despite flying back to where the object was now detected, the pilots and their backseaters were never able to track it either visually or on their instruments. They ended up returning to their ship safely. Contrary to popular belief, neither Commander Fravor nor his wingman or backseater were the ones who took the now famous Tic Tac video footage. Commander Fravor was simply the one who encountered it first, and upon returning to his ship, told the following airmen who are about to take off from the carrier about the incident, who then became determined to find it again. The Wizzo on one of the second pair of FA-18Fs that were launched was the one who was actually able to lock onto the thing and take the now famous video footage. All right, so let's just describe this video for our listeners. So what you see is a black and white video of the FLIR pod or the targeting pod on the FA-18F the FA Hornet, Super Hornet. And you'll see a lot of uh, mumbo jumbo on the screen, but what you see is like in brackets, there's a little white dot in the center of the screen, which is the UFO being tracked. And how would you describe this? Because it, it's kind of an uneventful video until the very end. And at the very end, you'll see it just zoom off to the left really quick. And it's too quick for the for the targeting pod to track it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, super grainy video. You know, I know that this the video was taken in the, the early 2000s, but it looks like something that was shot on a home video camera from like the 1980s, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, and even Commander Fravor, you know, described, you know, it, you know, it was recorded on video and then continuously transferred over to other formats until we have it here on YouTube. And every time it's transferred, you lose quality. Yep. So, yeah, it's really fuzzy. You can barely tell anything. But what you can see is this little white dot. And then they even, um, they even cycle uh, visual modes so that the dot becomes black and the background becomes white. Um, doesn't really make it any e easier to see. But like you said, it does look like a little white tic-tac on the infrared camera. And, yeah, they're tracking it. And, yeah, towards the end of the video, out of nowhere, it just accelerates left off a of screen and it is gone yeah pretty much man upon the wizzo trying to get a radar lock on the object it began to jam the radar which technically is an act of war the wizzo then decides to try and get a passive lock on the object using his targeting pod instead which is the footage from the now famous incident he switches between all the different types of video modes from infrared to black and white video Based on the infrared video, the object is warmer than the ocean below it, but if this were a type of conventional aircraft, there should be an exhaust plume visible shooting out the back of it, which propels it through the air. However, no exhaust plumes can be seen on the object, which should have been clearly visible if there were any. Although it was being tracked passively through the targeting pod, the onboard radar was not able to give any clear ranging information due to the mysterious aircraft jamming the radar. 
Toward the end of the video, the object simply takes off at an incredibly high rate of speed off to the left of the screen and vanishes. As it turns out, the radar operators on the ship had been seeing these things on their radar, but nobody informed the pilots about them prior to the incident. So, a little bit about Commander David Sex Fravor. Yes, his call sign was Sex. Had to do some digging to find that one. He spent uh, about 24 years total in the military, first serving as an enlisted Marine for a couple of years, and then eventually he was accepted into the Naval Academy to become a Naval officer, and then he flew for 18 years for the Navy. Uh, he started out flying A6s, and then he moved up to F-18 Hornets, and when they became available, the newer F-A-18 Super Hornets. Uh, he graduated Top Gun. He flew over Los Angeles during the 9-11 attacks to protect our SoCal shores from any further any further uh, terrorist attacks. He has achieved every qualification you could possibly get in the F-18, just a master pilot of this aircraft. Um, at the time of the incident, he was actually the commanding officer of VFA-41, known as the Black Aces. Um, but yeah, there's David Fravor in a nutshell for you. David Fravor, while on the Joe Rogan podcast, episode number... 1361 he told the story of a navy helicopter pilot that he knew while flying a ch-53 near puerto rico on a mission to recover bqm aerial target drones and submarine telemetry torpedo rounds in the ocean which are like dummy torpedoes fired by submarines on training missions which record data and then inflate and come up to the surface and float to later be retrieved quote the helo drops a swimmer in the water he hooks the whole thing up and they fly back, Fravor said. The first time they were out and they were going to pick up a BQM, he's sitting in the front. In the CH-53, you can see down by your feet, and he's looking down. They're 50 feet above the water. He sees this kind of dark mass coming up from the depths, end quote. Quote, he's looking at this thing going, what the hell is that? And then it just goes back down underwater. Once they pull the kid and the BQM out of the water, this object descends back into the depths, end quote. Just a few months later, the same helicopter pilot saw it happen again. Quote, he's out picking up a torpedo. They hook the diver up on the winch, and as they're lowering him down, he sees this big mass. He goes, it's not a submarine. He's seen submarines before. Once you've seen a submarine, you can't confuse it with something else. This big object, kind of circular, is coming up from the depths, and he starts screaming through the intercom system to tell them to pull the diver up, and the diver's only a few feet from the water. Quote, they reverse the winch, and the diver's thinking, what the hell is going on? And all of a sudden, he said the torpedo just got sucked down underwater, and the object just descended back down into the depths. They never recovered it. End quote. So, what the hell happened to it then, man? That's a great question, man. You know, Moby Dick came up and swallowed that thing. Lieutenant Ryan Graves, another F-A-18 pilot with the Navy of the VFA-11 Red Ripper Squadron out of Naval Air Station, Oceana, Virginia, also broke his silence when he came forward about what he and his squadron were seeing over the waters off the coast of Virginia Beach on the East Coast. 
According to him, in 2014, his squadron's F-18s had their radars upgraded from the APG-73 to the APG-79, which was a vast improvement over the older model. However, after the radars were upgraded, the squadron began noticing peculiar blips on their radars out over the exercise area located more than 10 miles off the coast. Quote, these things would be out there all day. Keeping an aircraft in the air requires a significant amount of energy. With the speeds we observed, 12 hours in the air is 11 hours longer than we'd expect it, end quote, Lieutenant Graves said. According to Graves, these objects would have erratic flight patterns and the ability to remain stationary even under high wind conditions, suggesting that these were not balloons. The matter eventually escalated until two F-18 Super Hornets nearly collided with one of the objects as it hovered motionless at the exact geographic point and altitude of the entrance to their exercise area, which was described as a, quote, dark gray or black cube inside of a clear or translucent sphere with the apex of the cube touching the inside of the sphere, end quote. The object passed directly between the two aircraft, which were flying in formation just a hundred feet apart, narrowly avoiding tragedy. The near-miss incident angered the squadron and convinced them that their initial theories that these were part of some secret government drone program were false, as the government officials would certainly know better than to operate them in the same area where Navy pilots were training in. Lieutenant Danny Acoin, another F-18 pilot in the same squadron, claimed to have interacted with these objects on two occasions. On one occasion, he began to merge with an object that he saw on radar, and as he passed 1,000 feet below where it should have been, believing that his helmet cam would, would be able to pick it up. However, he could not see it visually, despite his radar being able to detect it. On the second occasion, he got a missile lock on one of the objects with his dummy training missile, and his infrared camera picked it up as well. Quote, I knew I had it. I knew it was not a false hit, but I could not pick it up visually, end quote, a coin said. Ultimately, two more videos would be recorded over the waters of the East Coast, now known as the Gimbal Video and the Go Fast Video. In the gimbal video, during an air-to-air -air training exercise where Navy pilots would go head-to-head -head with each other in simulated combat, the Wizzo in one aircraft noticed a fleet of blips on his radar, initially believing it was part of the training exercise as new unknown aircraft were joining the exercise. However, as a pilot of the F-18 flew over to one of the objects, the Wizzo was able to capture the video footage on his FLIR camera, which you can hear his reaction to in the following clip. All right, so let's talk about this video real quick. So on the video, you can see you can see this little smudgy looking object highlighted between two brackets on the screen. And then if you look at the top, the top of the screen, you'll see IR. That means that the camera is in infrared mode. And then you'll see a number followed by a degree symbol and then either L or R. So that means that 
like let's say for instance i've got this video paused at at 52 degrees l so that means that this camera is looking at this object and it's 52 degrees to the left of the nose of the plane if that makes sense and the the camera is in infrared mode so you see this white blob on the screen highlighted in brackets along with a bunch of other information on the screen basically the the two pilots are shocked at this thing and it's moving against the wind and the wind is over 100 miles an hour going in the opposite direction so there's no way that this thing could be a balloon or some sort of conventional drone that's the implication anyway what did you what did you make of this man yeah well uh, same thing like like they were saying about the um the the tic tac video right so so they're on infrared they see the object but there is no exhaust plume behind yeah. this thing so it's it's traveling at a high rate of speed against wind that is over a hundred knots in the opposite direction so it needs to be propelled by something but in all conventional propulsion that we know of that requires basically an internal combustion engine which leaves an exhaust trail right yeah and you've got to suck you've got to suck shit in and then blow shit out in order to propel yourself as as best as we know as humans but there's something different about the way that these things operate it's not a balloon because it's flying against the wind and the wind is the wind is really strong up at these high altitudes and um it's going against the wind so I, yeah. I don't know what to make of it, man. It, this is not a balloon to me. This is not a, a conventional drone either. Well, well, the other wild part is what happens at the very end of the video. So this thing, it, it, it's really blurry, but it kind of looks like, you know, a top, you know, that top you spin on the table, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, it's oblong in shape. And right at the end of the video, it starts to turn to where it would be even less aerodynamic or with its flat part going yep. forward and the video cuts off then. But when I was listening to a podcast where they interviewed uh, the pilot, he said, right when that happened is when it took off out of range. So this thing turns itself to make itself less aerodynamic and then hauls even more ass, which yeah. makes zero sense. To our understanding, it makes zero sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so what you don't see in the video is the SA page, which is the situational awareness page that the, the pilot and the WISO have access to. And this provides a top-down view of the environment in relation to the plane. And they could actually see four, four to six more of these objects flying in sort of a wedge formation. In 2015, another video was taken off the east coast of Florida. This time, another F-18 WIZO was able to track an object moving at a high rate of speed below their aircraft. Much like the previous two videos, he's able to get a passive lock using his FLIR targeting pod. And the following is the audio from that incident. Let's roll the clip. So let's just talk about this real quick. So what did you make of this video? Can you describe it for our listeners? So 
um, kind of like in the first two videos, you have uh, what appears to be an infrared video. Um, it starts off, right? You, you can tell that this infrared camera is looking down at the ocean. Um, a lot more clarity in this one. You can kind of see like the, the texture of the ocean. And there is an object screaming across the frame of the video. And the operator, the, the Wizzo, keeps moving the camera manually, trying to catch up with this thing, to follow it. And about, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds in, he finally is able to get the IR camera to do a passive lock on this object, which means it basically sees pixels in its own screen and the camera Follows knows it. to yeah 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 to follow those and the dude is hooting and hollering he's super stoked because he was obviously struggling to get a lock on this thing you know um it also looks like it's moving insanely fast now i don't really have like a point of reference you know i mean i would assume any fighter jet would be able to cook that fast across the surface of the ocean um uh, you, there, there's all this information around the screen. I can't tell which one is the uh, speed of the aircraft, if there even is one. But um, yeah, to uh, to the layman, it looks like this thing is traveling at an incredible rate of speed. So if you look at the bottom right, you'll see that the, the aircraft is at 25,000 feet. Yeah. Just about 25,000 feet. And then you look at the center of the screen, you see the, the horizon indicator. It's tilted to the left. So the, the plane is, is tilting to the left. And then if you see at the very top where it says the IR and then there's like a, a degree symbol followed by an L, that means that's that's where the camera is in relation to the nose of the plane. So they, they're, they're pretty high. And then this thing is flying pretty low comparatively to the, the yeah. fighter jet. All right, man. I think that this brings us to the end of the mystery. So what do you think that this can all be attributed to? What are, what are your thoughts, man? We are not alone in the universe, plain and simple. <laughs> That's it, man. You know, uh, yeah, you think so, it's case, so case closed, case closed episode over. No, no. Um, yeah. I, I think that these things are probably extraterrestrial, you know, because they, they defy almost all we know of physics, you know, no visible intake or exhaust, you know, um, insane acceleration, you know, lateral movements like a ping pong ball bouncing around. Um, so ro ro rotating to be less aerodynamic before hauling ass. Um, so have you yeah. have you heard of have you heard of Bob Lazar? I have heard of Bob Lazar. Or do you know his yeah. story? Are you familiar they, with his story? They they mentioned him in the podcast um so for uh, i i do want to i do want to cover bob lazar at some point in the podcast probably in the in the semi near future but bob lazar just in a nutshell he's a guy who claimed to have worked on captured alien spacecraft that the u.s government has that they're trying to reverse engineer and understand the technology of and how he was hired to try to figure out the propulsion of these of these aircraft and it's kind of interesting how the way that bob lazar was able to to describe these alien 
these so-called alien craft that he claimed to have worked on and how they operate, it is very similar to, to these. Like, for example, when you look at the gimbal video and you'll see how, how it rotates, it rotates into this, this non-aerodynamic fashion and then shoots off. It's because if you believe Bob Lazar, these aircraft, these spacecraft have these like three gravity emitters that are in the bottom of the ship. And then they, they kind of form this like tripod where they converge onto one focal point and then are able to shoot off in that direction. So when they're making these long distance jumps, that's how they operate. They, they rotate themselves and then they focus these, these three pods into a, a single point. And then it sort of like pulls them in that direction which I think is fucking amazing that let's say even if he's lying, it's still an amazing thing to, to have come up with 30 years before this shit came out. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, but about that, um, you know, it, even if you, you're manipulating gravity to pull you through, you, you still have air to contend with unless your gravity manipulation engines can divert well, the air away from your craft, you know, because if you're, you know, boogieing at over a thousand miles an well, hour and, and you're shaped like no, a, it, a no. frisbee. <laughs> See how 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 he described it as working. I don't I don't claim to know the the ins and outs of it, but somehow these craft were able to to generate some sort of like a gravity field around them. And yeah. they would move around. It, it would almost appear as if they're moving around inside of this distortion field, according to Bob Lazar. And so it would look like these these craft were, would be bouncing around inside of this this like gravitational field, which was would be consistent with what David Fravor saw. Yeah. And as far as I know, Bob Lazar and David Fravor kind of know each other and kind of res respect each other, which I think is pretty telling. Um. I'm at a loss. I don't know. Yeah. Gra gravity manipulation would be, as far as I can think, the only way to make that work. And not only would you have to manipulate the gravity around the craft, but maybe also inside of it. Because if you're going from like zero miles an hour to Mach 6 in a second, that kind of G-force would kill a human. Immediately. Oh, of course, it would kill anything. But yeah, what what I'm saying, what I'm saying though, is that according to the the science that that Bob Lazar goes into, everything within this gravitational field surrounding the air, uh, surrounding the craft, uh, ha experiences like no extra g forces as it travels through space. So that's how it's able to just make these lightning speed jumps yeah. without the if there are occupants or not. Um, you know, like the, the craft itself, not experiencing the G that would be so wild. Like, could you imagine sitting in the cockpit of something that moved like that, but created no G force on your body? It would appear as though you're actually sitting still and moving the world around you. So before we get too deep into this, I do want to go over several of the common theories surrounding this. So there's one theory that I've heard is that some of these objects were just seagulls, especially like the go fast video. I just want to say, like, I've, I've heard people talk about the go fast video just being a seagull that they, they locked onto. And I want to I want to just say here that 
these guys are not fucking idiots. And also seagulls <laughs> don't fly that far offshore. They, they, they hug the coastline. They're not way the fuck out there into the ocean. Yeah. Or that fast, you know, or I mean, that like, fast, yeah. like I said earlier, like I don't really have a point of reference to know how fast it really is going, but it, you can tell it's fucking hauling ass. Yeah. And then there's also the theory that these are balloons. But like I said before, they're going against the wind. They're not going with the wind. Balloons don't fly against the wind. I mean, the wind is what floats them around. So, yeah. Um, There's also the theory that these could be some sort of top secret foreign aircraft. I don't think that that could that's probably the case either, because I think that if some if some foreign government had access to this kind of technology, the world would look like a much different place now than it does. Well, one would hope so, you know, that, that they wouldn't just keep that to themselves, especially for so long, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's, it's kind of like the atomic bomb. Whoever was going to gain access to the atomic bomb first would, would become like the, the hegemon, the global hegemon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that whoever, whoever is able to harness this kind of technology first will be able to do, pretty much anything they want yeah well hopefully they apply it to travel because could you imagine like commercial air travel you yeah. know yeah no no more 13 hour flights man you're there in five minutes <laughs> less than that but yeah, um it's five minutes god damn it's taking too long yeah. uh, top okay so what about a top secret domestic aircraft do you think it's something that we've got it's the same um, say, same chance uh, to top secret domestic aircraft versus top secret foreign aircraft. It's the exact same, you know, percentage of chance of that actually being a thing. You know, I would say, I would, ours, say I would say this one's slightly above being a foreign aircraft. And the reason I say that is because we're already like the U.S. is already the global hegemon. So. I think we could have an incentive to sit on this technology secretly more so than anyone else, because if it, we always have this ace card up our sleeve, we don't have to show it to anyone because to show it to other people would reveal what we've actually got. But I think that if anyone else had this technology before the U.S. did, that would be less likely. I think we'd see it sooner. Yeah, I get that. At the same time, you know, if we've got the newest, flashiest you know, physics breaking technology and we've had it for this many decades. I think we would have shown it off by now. Yeah. All right. So one, one other thing I wanted to go over was what do you think about this possibly being some sort of craft by a, an unknown, undiscovered, highly intelligent race of sea creatures? Because do you think that it's possible that there's something underneath our oceans that we're not aware of? It is possible because there's still a lot of the ocean floor that's never been mapped. Yep. But we're also, you know, the, the whole world's working on mapping out the ocean floor like every year, you know, so that that frontier, that unknown frontier is shrinking every year. And I don't know, man, the the size of underwater civilization you would need. I don't I don't know if that could be hidden anymore. Um but then again, who knows with something that doesn't give off a heat signature or an exhaust plume, 
you know, maybe they can hide down there somewhere. You know, the lost city of Atlantis is actually <laughs> down there, still you know, alive. Hi- yeah, hi- yeah, hi- hyper intelligent sea creatures. You know, they've mastered gravity and everything else. Well, you would have to if you lived at the floor of the ocean, or else you'd be crushed to death. That's yeah, true. So I, I think that both of us, we both kind of think that this is probably extraterrestrial in origin. So I would want to, I would want to ask you, why do you think they're here, and what do you think their nature is, and what they're doing? Mm, well, considering how long these sightings have been going on, I think the nature of them being here is just observation. Um, you know, if, if they had other ulterior motives they may have played out on those by now mm-hmm. you know but yeah no mostly they just want to be hidden you know and on these rare occasions we catch them on footage or on radar you know or we use like multiple mediums to try to capture these things and then they show up on one like they'll only show up on radar or they'll only show up on infrared but you can't see it with the naked eye or you can't see it with the naked eye but it won't show up on radar right you know yeah <clears throat> yeah I don't think that these things are are piloted. I think they're they're probably AI controlled. You know, I'm sure if if aliens can if aliens can come here, send something here, they they've probably mastered AI already. Uh, there's no reason to put alien bodies inside of these things. I think they're there's some sort of a like a like a probe that are intelligently controlled by AI. But as for what they're doing here, I have no fucking idea. And to think about it in any deep sort of way is kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I like, uh, I, I like the theory that, um, humans were either created or altered by aliens, you know, which is why we're like the only species on the entire planet that, you know, builds jets and cars and wears clothes and has all kinds of weird social things. And we invented the internet and all that craziness. That's a mystery you know? for another day, man. But I hear yeah. I get what well, you're yeah. saying. Yeah, but 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 I bring it up because if that's true or if you believe it, I think that these alien craft that are here are just observing their little science projects being us. Could be, man. I think that they're I, I honestly don't know if they're manipulating us or not. I think they're they're probably more neutral rather than malevolent yeah. or benevolent. I think they're just here for their own reasons and Maybe there's some sort of resource here on Earth that that they need, and there's like a whole plethora of it somewhere at the bottom of the ocean, and that's why they're they're closely monitoring the movements of the U.S. Navy. I think they probably have some sort of a a base, or this is gonna sound crazy, but I think they they have some sort of underwater bases in, in probably many locations under the ocean. But as for why they're here. I have no idea. That's that's above my pay grade, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they're benevolent either. I think that they're not manipulating us or trying to manipulate us. I think they're just keeping an eye on us. Yeah. All right. So, what do you think about this? The possibility that this could be something else, even just something else altogether. I mean, not aliens, not some something conventional. What do you think about it? Just being something just so far out of the realm of our concept of what could be out there. Like, for example, could this be something interdimensional? Could it be some 
something else altogether entering our reality without permission? Well, the, the, the possibility is definitely there. You know, if, if, if science has shown us anything in the last 10 years is that the math shows that anything is possible in this like infinitely expanding universe, you know, and yeah, just stuff like that stuff. Our little human pea brains could never possibly begin to comprehend, which might be why we don't have explanations for this. That's in the first place. That's actually not my first choice. I just wanted to throw it out there just to as food for thought, but actually I think it's not my first choice either, but, but I do agree that it is a possibility yeah I, in the aspect that that anything is possible so it's clear that these things are under intelligent control um it was evading commander fravor until like in real time it was avoiding his aircraft these things were jamming radar so this is clearly some sort of a craft that's intelligently controlled whether that's ai controlled or or some sort of a pilot um it's highly advanced it does not it does not have a conventional propulsion system what else could it be honestly other than an alien spacecraft it, i don't know it's either some either somebody's got access to technology that the rest of the world doesn't know about or this thing came from somewhere else and i lean more towards it coming from somewhere else because i think that if if any government in the world had access to this kind of technology the world would look like a much different place than it does today because this is game-changing technology you could pretty much do anything you want if you if you had this technology it could go Agreed. anywhere at any point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Drop you, you could bombs just be like, at will. I mean, anything. Yeah. Well, just like Marvel, you could have aircraft carriers, you know, 50,000 feet up in the sky. You wouldn't even you need know? aircraft carriers, dude. You could yeah. you could get it, anywhere it, you want true. in the world at any point in time. It would render yeah. aircraft carriers completely obsolete. Yeah. Okay, but 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 the point is is that you know you, you would no longer be constricted to having your own military bases, yeah. right? Like on on your own soil, like you could build mobile bases that could go literally anywhere in no time at all and move an infinite amount of cargo, troops, tanks, yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah, man. Well, do you have anything else you want to add to this discussion? I don't think so, man. This was a fun episode, though. I'm glad we did this. This is a good Fourth of July episode. Yeah, man. Me too. Well, do you have any apologies, shoutouts, clarifications, or crow to eat? Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to America's finest city, San Diego, right where this uh, where where this story is based out of, um, where I was born and raised my entire life. I'm still living here, but you know what? Really getting sick of it, San Diego. I'm really getting sick of how expensive it is here. Yeah, go <laughs> and fuck the, yourself, San Diego. Yes, to quote a great man, go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> That's it. Just had to get that one off my chest. Fuck it, San Diego. So I've I've actually got some crow to eat today, man. So um, in the Betty and Barney Hill episode, I said that there was no lore of aliens flying out of the ocean before Betty Hill's story. And I've got to humbly accept that I was wrong and that these things have been spotted since at least the time of Columbus. So I was wrong. I've got to eat crow on that. Well, that's very big of you. One last thing before we go, we never get political here on Super Mystery Bros, but just remember that no matter what your political beliefs are, 
when it's over out there, we're all on the same team. Alright man, I think it's about time to get out of here. Like sands through the hourglass, so too are the minutes of our podcast. But don't fret, dear listener. We'll be back again to breathe new life into an old mystery next time. Remember folks, the truth is out there, somewhere in the ether, and with our powers combined, we'll solve that some bitch once and for all. This is Super Mystery Bros. at a I was at a bar with uh Paul and my brother and a couple other dudes right and for whatever reason mm-hmm. we were telling poop stories and I told them about that turd that you fucking took a picture of like forever ago that like beached itself on like the side of the bowl you remember you, you remember you remember telling me like all about this dude we were like fucking probably not even like 21 yet we told me about this like enormous shit you fucking took and it was like one continuous turd, and in your words, no, no little no. satellite turds, no little no, satellite. No, 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 no. I know what you're talking about, but I was not the one who took that shit. Oh, what, really? What happened was, what happened was, I think what you're talking about is this turd I saw in high school, where it was in passing period, and as I was walking into the bathroom, I saw like a group of maybe like th- three kids that were like looking in this stall and they were like pointing into it and they were like freaking out and shit. And I, I, I went in there and looked and it like, it shocked my heart. Like it startled me because it like went in, you know, those big industrial sized yeah. toilets that school had. Yeah. So it was about as, as like thick as my forearm like this. <laughs> And and it was about as long as my arm is, and it it went into the hole in the toilet, and then it like wrapped around the side of the toilet, and then plopped up on the side of the seat. Yeah. And it was just like like beached on top of on top of the toilet seat. So so the way so I I didn't remember it right, but like the way I told the story at the bar to these dudes, right? Like I told them it like wrapped around the bowl. And then before it touched itself again, it came up towards the front of the bowl and beached itself on the side. So it kind of looked like a yeah. question mark. All right. And that's when fucking that's that's when Paul said poop quiz hot shot. And then we laughed for like 30 fucking minutes. Like, yeah, I, I couldn't fucking believe it. <laughs> Wish there was a picture of it. <laughs> This was probably like 2004. I didn't have a fucking camera phone. (laughs) Yeah, I remember I was it was chemistry class with with Lance. It was the was the class I was walking into right before that. So that was was that 10th grade or 11th grade. Chemistry is supposed to be 10th grade. 
It was something like that, yeah. 